If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. There's so many moments in parenting where you question like, do they even notice this? Is this even worth it? But those moments where you see what you are teaching and instilling being mirrored back to you through your children is just like incredible. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. I will never forget the day that my mom's friend came over to our house for a visit. And there was this moment when Coco just got a little overwhelmed or overstimulated and she excused herself and went to lay behind her favorite chair as a means of a little self-induced like timeout, so to speak, in order to regain her composure and to just simply pause And my mom's friend who had four children of her own was shocked. Like she was like, "Um, did she just give herself a timeout? And I told her, we don't really call it that, but she often will excuse herself to take a beat before rejoining whatever's going on. And my mom's friend still talks about that to this day, which is something that was like totally normal for us, but something she had never seen before. And I've shared about this a little bit on the podcast, and I'm always hesitant in how I share it and what I say, because as a mom, like my number one job and goal in life is just to protect my children. And this isn't anything to like be ashamed about or anything, but I always just want to protect their version of their stories. But Coco is a really deep feeler. Like energetically, she is highly empathetic. She feels really big feelings and she always has. It's really been fascinating as a mom having two daughters now. And while Quinn is still pretty small, their energy is very different. It's just very different. And so mothering Coco has really led me to learning a lot, like a lot of lessons, a lot of strategies. And also then finding myself stealing them for myself. Like when I realized like, here are these things that I want for her. 
I also want these things for myself as an adult. And even today, like we had more than just a few moments where Coco would have to like walk away and she would say like, I need some space. And we would all kind of just take a deep breath and reset. And it's this need of hers that I've learned to love and not just love, like I've learned to deeply respect it. And it's something that I find myself borrowing when I start to feel overwhelmed or overstimulated. Like I just need to take a beat. I need to take a breath. I need to, you know, just take a minute. And my mom often tells me that being a mom these days is both a blessing and a curse. Like one of the things that I find really incredible about being a parent in this day and age is the amount of resources that we literally have at our fingertips. If you're not sure what a weird looking diaper is, Google it. Like Google will tell you. Or maybe you're wondering like, how the heck do you actually get your toddler to eat a vegetable without feeling like you're going insane? Again, you can Google it. I'm sure there's an Instagram account or a TikTok. The thing that is so cool is that nowadays we have so much information. It's so cool. But with all of this awareness can also lead to information overload. It's this blessing to be able to learn from your favorite Instagram accounts, but it's also easy to invite in too many outside voices and kind of drown out our own mothering intuition. And I think that it's really fascinating and this delicate dance trying to find the balance between what you innately know to be true while also leveraging the resources and the tools and the awareness that this generation has. It's really interesting. It's a juggle that I think a lot of us find ourselves in. So let's talk about emotional intelligence. It wasn't really anything that was on my radar until I became a parent, especially a parent to a child who has these big feelings. And I've listened to a few trusted voices and experts in the field. I'll share some of those accounts with you in a bit. And at the same time, I've also really allowed myself to just lean into my own mothering intuition for what feels right in order to foster healthy development of emotions in my kids. Because so much of this starts with us and our own behaviors and beliefs around emotions. And let me just say, I'm not an expert in this space, but this is something that I've dove really deep into in recent years and more specifically as a mom and how I want this to look in our family. Very Well Mind describes emotional intelligence as the ability to perceive, control, and evaluate emotions. Researchers suggest that when we have this healthy handle on our emotions, as in we can name our emotions and understand where they come from and what triggers them, then we will have a greater control in thinking before reacting, in empathizing with others, in stretching our own self-awareness. And anyone with a toddler knows how valuable it is to encourage these behaviors when navigating those big and loud and messy feelings that all toddlers encounter. And while I'm going to talk about the role of emotional intelligence in our personal household, even if you don't have children, I want for you to listen up because the things that I want for my children are things that I have also discovered I want for myself. Like this isn't just reserved for this next generation. We need to take these same ideas and apply them to our lives. We're so focused on our generation modeling for the next but we also need to take some of these strategies and new findings for ourselves. So regardless of what your family looks like, you are helping raise the next generation. If we want a more empathetic, emotionally in touch generation, then it is up to us as leaders. 
Like when you think about it, the earlier in life that we can harness this skill of emotional intelligence, and it really is a skill that is meant to be practiced and not perfected, then the better set up we are to have healthy relationships and coping skills and communication with others as we walk through life. Like I want my daughters to grow up knowing that their emotions are valid and normal. And as I say in my book, how are you really? I say, I want them to feel their feelings, whether they're angry or sad or excited, happy, confused, or anything in between. Today, I'm going to walk through five important ways that we foster emotional intelligence on a daily basis in our home so that my children feel more set up for success in life and within their own work and personal relationships. So if you have children, or even if you want to practice your own emotional resiliency, keep listening for five actions that you can practice in order to grow this muscle that we can easily neglect. Who knows? You might be surprised how healing this journey is for you too. Let's dive on in. My friend and repeat Gold Digger podcast guest, Sanira Madani, is on the HubSpot Podcast Network. It is so cool to be in such good company on the network with Sanira. If you haven't tuned into her show before, CEO School needs to be your next listen. CEO School is committed to closing the gap and helping more women level up by sharing stories and strategies from powerful women in leadership because nothing bad happens when women make more money. Sanira recently interviewed the OG girl boss, Sophia Amoruso, about building million dollar brands and media trainer, Jessica Abo on how to nail your media appearances and pitches. Listen to Sanira Madani's show, CEO School, wherever you get your podcasts. There's an entire chapter in my book, How Are You Really?, that is dedicated to feelings. And I want to read you a little excerpt right now. Listen, not every feeling is a choice, as if life is simply a menu of delicious options and we just need to choose, as if the world isn't burning and the oceans aren't rising, as if our pain can't exist because others have pain too, as if accessing more difficult, complex emotions like sadness, discontent, or futility means we're doing this all wrong. Hear me loud and clear. It doesn't. There will be times in our lives where joy is not an emotion we can access in the moment. And in those times, the goal isn't just to choose it. The choice we do have to ask ourselves when we last felt it and to dig hard for that answer. But when we shame ourselves for not choosing the convenient response, hashtag blessed, or for not displaying what we think is a socially acceptable response to whatever situation we're in, we distract from the real work. We try to outrun the longings, try to forget about the wants, try to silence every deep doubt and deeper dream, or we reach for whatever might numb the feelings we can't silence. Because sometimes seeking out the answers becomes too painful, especially when we think we have to ask them in the shadows where we won't bother anyone, where no one can hear that we're actually admitting we're not happy or that life hasn't turned out how we thought it would. How many times have we woken up at 3 a.m. mind racing with hundreds of these unacknowledged responses pinging in our brains? It's like that error we get when we send a text and whatever wizard it is that runs the magical cloud these days bounces us right back to earth. Message failed to send. The times we didn't ask for what we needed, the times where we weren't honest about our boundaries, the times we pretended we weren't in pain, the times we felt shame for still being in pain, The times when we didn't apologize, the times we did apologize, but for something we didn't at all need to, the times we trivialized our accomplishments, the times we said no worries when we felt betrayed, the times we said to our doctor, it's probably nothing but. 
We're overflowing with these unsent messages and these unanswered questions. Our bodies are storing them. Our lives are storing them. And there's no cellular 5G plan on earth that can handle that sort of backup. We're carrying them around all day and all night, all of these unfelt feelings and unexpressed words and unexplored dreams. And we wonder why we wake up so damn tired. Now, that is just a section of that chapter. Again, it's from my book, How Are You Really? If you haven't gotten your hands on my book, what are you doing? If you love the show, you would absolutely love the book. You can get it anywhere books are sold or go to howareyoureallybook.com. But that is part of an entire chapter in my book about feeling our feelings. That's how important I think emotional intelligence is. Now, while I'm going to focus on the role emotional intelligence plays in my household, I first want to explain how it's deeply impacted my life in the past few years. So emotional intelligence has been something I've thought so much about, especially after we had an emotional intelligence expert train my team at work. Now, you might remember educator, sociologist, and emotional intelligence practitioner Tico Nejan from the podcast. She was on episodes 293 and 411. And she came on to talk about EQ or emotional intelligence and how it impacts relationships, interactions, work, and daily decisions. She even read my EQ chart on this show. And we hired her to come on and partner with my entire team for six months. And she taught my team so much about our own emotions and communication and biases and how they affect not just our work, but our lives as a whole. It was a really, really incredible incredible, incredible learning for us. And I remember before I worked with Tico, I was someone who claimed that I was entirely unemotional when it came to business, that I could, quote, save my emotions from my relationships. It was something that I really thought was true. When it comes to business, I'm a numbers person. I'm pretty black and white. But I learned that it is not possible to separate your emotions you know, you can't just reserve them for specific areas of your life. And I've always been pretty even energied, like in work, in business. And so I misunderstood my own behavior. And in our time with Tico, our entire team was invited to really peel back the layers of how we move through business and life and what our emotions are telling us and teaching us and guiding us towards. And that training was so cool because a lot of my team are parents And even my own mom joined the training. She just wanted to learn with us. And it was just a really, really, really impactful thing for us. And so I'm coming at this episode having gone through formal EQ training, but also just as a mom and a human and someone who wants to learn more and do better. So if you want to learn more from Tico, who taught me so much of what I know, scroll back to those past episodes for more. And we share about what EQ training looked like as a team and also how you can evaluate your own emotional intelligence. And I think it's really cool. Like the thing that I loved so much is that when you think and talk about your emotions and when you recognize like how you process, it can be like a very emotional process in and of itself, just digging into that. But it's also so incredibly powerful. So today we're not just talking about us, at least not exclusively. We're talking about our kids, or even your nieces, or your nephews, or your best friend's kids, or your neighbors. If you're not in a parenting phase, don't stop this episode. Truth be told, all these principles that we're talking about can easily be applied to our own lives and the inner child that we all carry within us. So listen to this stat. EquipOurKids.org shared that emotional intelligence, also known as EQ, is actually far more relevant than IQ to our personal success, 
to living quality lives, our health, and our overall happiness, as well as positive outcomes for the communities and the workplaces we find ourselves in. But here's the stat. Only 10 to 15% of pre-K through grade 12 schools in the U.S. implement any sort of formal emotional intelligence education tools and curriculum. 10 to 15% out of all of the years that you're in school. So the ball falls pretty squarely in parents, mentors, and guardians' courts to take up this responsibility of teaching our kids emotional intelligence. I mean, honestly, it can feel overwhelming, especially if you were raised in a family that didn't talk about feelings or emotions or didn't teach you how to cope with hard feelings in a healthy way. Now, I feel extremely fortunate to have my mom. You have heard from her on this show. She is really exceptional when it comes to emotional intelligence, even though I probably couldn't have named it that as a child growing up. But it's really cool too. watching her now as a Nana. It really leaves me in awe because she is so in touch with the grandkids and their feelings and how they move through emotions. And I just love watching how she guides them. Like I've really realized a lot on this journey is not just teaching, it's just guiding people in a safe way. And for most humans, it's probably likely that you weren't raised in an environment that left you feeling safe to express or to feel your feelings. And so digging into the topic of EQ might require you to unearth some of those past experiences or really kind of look at how you were raised when it comes to this idea of feelings. We recently had this chat with a family member. He's a little rough and gruff. He, you know, loves to wrestle with the kids and things like that. And I sat this family member down. It was a very comfortable situation. We were sitting, drinking coffee. And I was like, hey, I just want you to know this boundary that we have with our kids. And I was like, I want my children to feel safe saying no. And I know you mean well, and I know you're just goofing around. But if my kids say no to you, if they don't want to give you a hug or if they don't want to wrestle or if they're saying, don't tickle me, I want for you to put your hands up. And I said, this is so important to me because if my kids learn that their no matters now, they're going to remember that when they're a teenager or when they're in college or when they're 25 and, and leaving a parking lot and someone tries to touch them. Like, And it's funny because this family member was kind of taken aback. But I wanted to just express like, hey, I want my children to know that like they are the boss of their bodies. And it was actually funny because the family member was like, well, then they think they're in charge. And I said, well, they are. They're in charge of their own bodies. And I just want their no to mean something. And if they know that their no means something with someone they respect, then they know that their no really holds weight with people that aren't in their sphere, if that makes sense. And... I really loved this conversation because it wasn't done in an attacking way. It wasn't done around the children. It wasn't done in a situation where this practice needed to be, you know, in practice in that moment, but it gave them something to think about. And it also just kind of set the boundary and set the precedent for something that I wanted them to kind of think about when they left, because our generation, we weren't necessarily taught that, you know, we say no means no, but like, how does that look in practice? Like with your cousins or with older people or, you know, elders in your life. And so, you know, that's just like one simple example of like what this looks like. And, you know, that's more of a boundary, but I want my kids to know if they feel uncomfortable, that feeling is okay. And they need to learn how to honor that, that they need to learn how to honor that intuitive feeling that says, I don't want to do this, or this doesn't feel good because that is going to serve them so much 
later on in life. And let me say, I know that not everyone's families will happily hop on the EQ train alongside of you. Like I know some families have very different styles of parenting, whether it's tough love or demanding respect or boundaries. And I appreciate all different styles. I just want for you to know that it's one of those things where you never just go into parenting thinking, oh gosh, this is going to be so controversial that I want this to be how my kids are raised. And yet it can be. Like beyond my parents, I feel so lucky that Drew is on board with this work because I think a lot of partners kind of battle on these different ideas of what parenting or guiding children through things are going to look like. And so if you're wanting to learn more about emotional intelligence and instill it in your kids, but you don't have a family or a partner who's on board yet, I know that this path can be really challenging. And I just want to say that. And one thing I will say is that modeling healthy emotional intelligence yourself is a really good way to start and be the example, as well as having honest conversations with your partner or whoever is helping you raise your children about the goals of how it is that you want to communicate with your kids. It is likely that everyone involved wants to raise honest, compassionate, empathetic, well-rounded kids who have this healthy understanding of communication and self-respect. And fostering their emotional intelligence is one of the best ways to do that. Maybe even listen to this episode with your partner or suggest reading a book or taking a course on EQ together so that it's a learning experience that you can embark on as a team rather than feeling at odds with your parenting style and approach. And again, I know not all of this is easy, but I just want to encourage that. So let's be real. When I talk about my kids, obviously Quinn isn't really communicating verbally yet. So we're really just practicing these things with Conley and hoping that they both pick up on our behaviors. And again, every kid is different. Every situation is different. This isn't like a blanket statement on exactly how you need to parent your kids, but our experience. And I also just want to acknowledge like none of this is easy. There are times where I get this so wrong. I can watch all of the Instagram stories of like, say this, not that. But when you're in moments where there are a lot of feelings, it can be really hard. And so it is not a walk in the park by any means. It is not a walk in the park when you're sitting there and your child is yelling at you or where they say things like, you know, I don't love you anymore. I like daddy better, whatever that is. Like all of that is a lot. And Sometimes those things can easily trigger a lot of big feelings, even in our grown up brains. And so I just want to say, like, we have not perfected this. Please keep in mind it is a constant learning process, but it is one that we have all learned from and it has helped us a lot as a family. So, here are the five things that we actively do with our kids. I know that this was the longest intro into the five points, but hopefully you gleaned something thus far. And here we go. So number one, we talk about feelings a lot. My dad was over the other day and my dad was raised by just an incredible woman. She had five boys and my grandma wasn't a super like expressive feeler. And so my dad wasn't necessarily raised in a house that would talk about feelings, right? Like when I was a teenager, I was kind of his first experience of like a girl with hormones. And man, I threw my dad for a loop. Like I was not good. So my dad was over the other day and Coco literally like asked me to come sit on this bench and talk to her about her feelings. And I, of course, went over and did that. And my dad like rolled his well-intentioned eyes I can only imagine that growing up in that house that he grew up in, they didn't talk about their feelings much. Now, what I love is that we have a lot of dialogue about feelings. And it's something that I really appreciate for so many reasons. 
in my book, I talk about like how I want my children to feel their feelings, but I also want myself to feel them. I think a lot of times we avoid our feelings or we just try to like fast track our way out of them. And as kids, we can remember like so viscerally, like being excited for a big day at school or nervous when you had a test or anxious about going to summer camp or frustrated when someone wouldn't share their favorite toy. Maybe we remember being really mad or sad or feeling all these emotions about so many different things, often many different emotions throughout the same day. But some of that big emotional responsiveness tends to go away as we age. We kind of even out a little bit, which is beautiful, but we also start to numb and dull and hide and we try to cover things up. And we also, and this is something that I've learned a lot about, we also trick ourselves into thinking that happiness is the goal. It's the destination. And when we're not happy, clearly there's something wrong with us and we just need to move through whatever it is quickly to get back to being happy. And I realized like kids pick up on this. Kids pick up on this a lot. And I know like when Coco is sad, sometimes like she'll like still be sad, but be like, okay, I'm happy. And I'm like, no, 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 baby, don't rush it. Like it's okay. And we live in this culture where there is like this idea of toxic positivity, where it's like, just choose joy, just get happy. And I want my kids to know that like, if you don't feel the depth of the other feelings, happiness is never going to feel the full vast amount of joy that it can be. And so one thing that I think is really important is like, we need to stop avoiding feelings that are anything but happy. And we have to stop distracting ourselves or going into like cope and ignore mode when challenging feelings arise. Like I made the decision early on, I want to raise kids who are comfortable expressing emotions, even when they make me or other people uncomfortable And when we do that, it could really impact them, not just through childhood, but also when it comes to being an adult. So how do we encourage all that? We talk about feelings a lot. Like this is a daily, sometimes hourly basis. And we check in, we almost do these like little check-ins and we do them without judgment. Like every day we'll ask Coco, like, how are you feeling? Or she has a frustrating moment. We let her work through it. And then afterwards we talk about it. So what was it that was frustrating you? And what is a way that we can maybe work through that differently next time? I was, before I came out to record, I heard Coco get frustrated with something. And in her frustration, she said to Drew, she said, I don't want to play with you anymore. And I said, I kind of yelled down over the railing. I said, it's okay to be frustrated, but it is not okay to be hurtful to other people. And that's all I said. And I waited. And just like two minutes later, I hear her say, dad, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that I took out my frustration on you. And I came down and we talked about it. And I said, what was it that was frustrating you? And you know, why did you say that to dad? And it was really cool because Drew was like, I didn't even tell her she needed to apologize, but she just needed that minute. And so I think that talking about feelings a lot, specifically not when the child is feeling them, but after they've had a moment to gather themselves, I think that it's really cool to give names to different emotions and to help our kids put words into what they're feeling, whether it's happy or mad or sad or excited. Coco can easily and quickly define what she's feeling from angry to sad, to frustrated, to excited, to happy. And I love that. And I love talking about what it is that she's feeling and helping her pinpoint why she's feeling that way. Like bring on all of those mom, let's talk about my feelings conversations. Cause I actually really love them. 
Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Number two, learn how to respond as an adult to your child's big feelings. So here's a funny thing, and maybe other parents can relate. I remember when I came out of the quote, terrible twos, and I felt pretty unscathed. Like two was not tricky for me. Three, three's been hard. Three's been a lot more challenging than I thought. And I remember when I thought about this topic for an episode, we were in the thick of transition. Like I remember just being like, gosh, I need to talk about this because I cannot be the only one doing this. But basically we were in this big sleep transition. So we were transitioning Coco to a toddler bed. She was dropping her afternoon nap. The feelings during that time were intense. Like it was just thick with feelings. Our lives felt that way. And we had had years of this routine and things were shifting. And I think we were all just like feeling that we were on the cusp of something new. It's easy to feel out of sorts when something new is happening. And I'm kind of thankful now in hindsight that I didn't record while we were in the thick of that transition. But I can smile thinking about that short little season that felt like it would last forever. Like if I've learned anything about parenting, it is that everything is temporary, even though when you're in it, it feels like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And I remember like it was a season where we were just dreading all things sleep. We were dreading nap time. We were dreading skipping the nap. We were dreading bedtime. It was like this daily fight. And I almost felt like I was like suiting up in armor for it every single day. I remember I was tuning into a big little feelings. They have this toddler course and I bought it and I, I was tuning into it because Coco was like the best little con artist when it came to bedtime. I know other parents of toddlers can relate. And thankfully, their course had some tips about like how to create boundaries around bedtime. And I'm like, teach me anything. I need to be a student of this. She needed snacks. She had to go potty 18 times. She wanted to look out the window. She needed to see if the dogs were outside there. You know, I mean, it was like every excuse in the book to avoid bedtime. And so in the midst of meltdowns before sleep, I would just sit with her. And I didn't say a whole lot. I would just sit there. And I've learned that when kids are feeling a lot, they can't understand when you're trying to redirect or course correct. It's literally like, you know, that phrase, like they see red, like they cannot hear you. They cannot comprehend. 
when you are adding to the noise that is only making their feelings more intense and you can't really get through to them. And I think as parents, like we want to help them work through it. So we're like trying everything. And it's tricky because there's this massive part of you that like, while this is happening, you just want to jump in and correct. Like you want to get to them, get through to them fast. But I've learned for us that like, I have to just be still and calm and breathe deeply and help her regulate. And then after we can talk about it. And so it's interesting because, you know, my tendency, and I think a lot of people's tendency is like, how do I fix this? But I've learned that like, you don't fix feelings, right? Like we don't, we shouldn't try to fix them. And so I have learned like when she is yelling, go away. That is her deepest fears that I'm going to go away. That what she's feeling is too intense and I'm going to walk out on her. So if I just sit there quietly and wait, she feels safe, right? And when they say lines like, you know, I don't like you or go away, like that can hurt a lot, right? But I've learned that like those lines are an expression of how much they are hurting in that moment or how frustrated they are that they're trying to help you understand the pain. Yes, it is misdirected. Yes, it is disrespectful. All of those things. Yes, I get that. But also, it's the only way sometimes that they can communicate what they're feeling. It's like they want to bring you there with them. And it is mind-boggling when you try to sit calmly with a three-year-old who is having a tantrum or having a meltdown. It is hard. It is not easy. But I try to remind myself in those moments, like the very same things that I want to remind her. We're both safe. It is okay and healthy to express our emotions. This is how we move through them. And it is so much better than telling her to push them away or keep them quiet or that it's inconvenient. It is temporary. It is temporary. And this is how we learn. The amazing thing is, is that like a lot of times after her, you know, explosions of feelings, she can tell me what she was going through and why she was feeling a certain way or what set her off. And I honestly feel like letting her express herself in those big feeling moments and helping her to feel safe has decreased the amount of tantrums and the length of them that she has because she's learning other ways to express how she feels and sit with her feelings rather than being shamed or punished by us. And can I just say real quick as a parent, the most stressful thing about parenting is parenting in front of other people. If you could relate to this, will you send me a DM? Because I'm like, I could sit and, you know, watch a tantrum all day if it's in my own house. But like when you are parenting in public, when you're parenting around other people who have maybe different styles of parenting, that is the most stressful part of parenting. I just want to get that out there. You've probably heard the quote from the philosopher who said, change is the only constant in life. And it's true. Everything is always changing and evolving, but that doesn't mean we always enjoy it, especially when it comes to your business. HubSpot's CRM platform helps you make major moves confidently. Confidence to go big, go home, go local or global. With HubSpot, all of your marketing and operations and sales tools are in one place, meaning you have the right data at the right time to make the right call. A single source of truth means your teams are supported by a powerful system that helps lighten the busy work and create more time and space for big thinking. As a connected customer platform, HubSpot provides more than just software. It helps you and your teams create deeper, more meaningful relationships with your customers so you can grow better together. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. 
Okay. Number three, reading books about feelings and naming and processing emotions. So there are so many amazing children's books that foster emotional intelligence and help normalize and name different emotions. So some of our favorites to read with Coco are all about feelings. When Miles got mad, Miles is the boss of his body, the color monster, Ruby finds a worry. There are like so many. You can literally just Google emotional intelligent books for children or books about feelings. And reading stories that explain and okay feelings and share healthy coping mechanisms is one of the easiest and most fun ways to really encourage your little ones to be in tune with how they're feeling. And I am so grateful. There are so many books out there nowadays that are interesting, educational. They're fun reads for the whole family. We like to read them before bed as a part of our nighttime wind down routine. And it honestly helps us to reflect on the day and what we're feeling throughout the day. And it's really awesome to show characters navigating emotions and normalizing them. And those books offer tools that I can literally watch Coco utilize. Like in this book, When Miles Got Mad, he talks about being mad. And as he shares and vocalizes his feelings, the quote, mad monster gets smaller and smaller and smaller and disappears. Or even when you think about like how Coco self-appoints timeouts, not as this form of punishment, but as an opportunity to isolate and process on her own. And a lot of times as adults, we want quick resolutions. Like I love that she will often find a space where she can take a beat by herself before coming back. For a long time, it was this little space between a chair and a window in our house. And now she'll actually go up to her bedroom and close the door and take a few minutes. And it's really wild to watch how she comes back totally different. Like I love that she now has the life skills to breathe, calm down, think before acting, and then vocalize when she's ready. And a lot of times she'll like walk up to us and say like, I was feeling sad and now I'm feeling better. And I mean, a lot of times as adults, we don't know how or when to step away from something or to give ourselves a moment to breathe or pause or think. And it's crazy to watch a toddler recognize that she needs that space. Like I respect that so much. Number four, remember that they're watching us, not just how we deal with our own emotions, but also what we say and the ways that we communicate with each other as adults. Sometimes people can think and talk about kids like they're not in the room and treat them like they don't understand adult conversations. We move through life assuming that they are listening to every word we say. And it's sort of in line with like that old, you know, be seen, not heard kind of attitude towards kids from back in the day. It was so cute. The other day, my grandparents were with us and they were telling us as parents, they were saying, oh, Coco is so wise and she's so smart with how she deals with things. And Drew looks at him and he's like, hey, she's right here. You can tell her that yourself. And she was standing right next to us and she could obviously hear them. And it was just something that's interesting because we're a lot more aware of children and how they take in what they see. And I don't think that some of the older generations necessarily think about it like that, but it's a good reminder for all of us. Like those little ears are listening. I remember when we were in Arizona, we had been hanging out with my family and we all got in the car and we closed the door and Coco goes, that was just so nice to see them. What a wonderful visit. And Drew and I like look at each other and we're like, where did she learn that from? And then I was like, oh my gosh, like every time we leave them, we always just say like, oh, that was such a nice visit. And so it was just this reminder of like, even when we think they are not listening, they are absolutely listening and ingesting. And there have been just so many times where I can literally see how much Coco is soaking it all up like a sponge, even in moments where I'm certain what I'm saying isn't getting through. There's also this moment where 
you know, when she's in the middle of her big feelings, after she calms down, I'll always like grab her face in my hands and just say like, you're safe. Your feelings don't scare me. I will always stay with you when you feel these things. I'm never going to leave you. And there have been times when she comes up to me sometimes days later and she'll grab my face in her hands and she'll say almost those exact words back to me. And every single time it's just like, okay, I am getting through. Like even when you don't think you're getting through, you are getting through to your children. There are so many moments in parenting where you question like, do they even notice this? Is this even worth it? But those moments where you see what you are teaching and instilling being mirrored back to you through your children is just like incredible. And one other thing that we've really learned too is like Drew and I will like apologize to each other, like not about an argument, like if we do something or, you know, whatever, we'll apologize in front of Coco so that she can see that like we say we're sorry too. Like if we messed up or if we were late or if we forgot something or if we didn't hear each other, like we model apologizing to one another. And I think that even just like modeling in that way can be a really, really huge thing, which leads me to number five. We are good at admitting our own big feelings and mistakes. This morning after a super early wake up, Coco was really frustrated and her frustration was wearing on Drew. And basically I woke up to two humans who were very frustrated with each other. I could literally feel their energy and their tension. And so they separated and then we all came together and they each apologized to each other. Coco apologized to Drew for not listening. Drew apologized to Coco and explained why he was frustrated. And then we got on with our day. And I actually loved watching that exchange because I feel like a lot of older generations never were quick to admit that they were wrong or they messed up. And we almost looked at our parents as like the perfect example of, you know, perfection. And I think that it's really beautiful for our kids to see the humanness of us. Like we often expect our kids to apologize, but we sometimes don't do the apologizing when it's necessary. And Drew and I have gotten really good at telling Coco, like when we're frustrated or when we're upset, or if we need a minute, like sometimes I'll just be like, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I need to take some space for myself and just to take a minute. And I think that again is modeled in her own behavior. And so I think just apologizing like we should and like we want her to do and doing it in a way that reflects how we want her to apologize, it is super helpful and it is another opportunity for modeling. And one thing that I think is really cool is instead of just saying like, I'm sorry for whatever it is, explaining our feelings as well. We explain what we felt, why we were feeling, and we're not afraid to just show that. Like sometimes we have big feelings. I think that's a really critical thing to model because big feelings don't go away once you're out of those toddler years, right? There's this old narrative, you know, that just because you're the parent, you're right. And what you say goes. And, you know, I agree with that. There is that level of respect, but I think it's also imperative that they see that adults are humans and they mess up and they misspeak and they don't always express themselves the right way. And when we recover and share what went wrong, it sets our children up to know how to do the same thing. I know what it's like to feel completely thrown off your game because you're just not motivated or your mind isn't in the right space. That's why I'm thrilled to tell you all about superhuman activations. Now, if meditation isn't for you, you need to try activations instead. Activations are a groundbreaking new type of audio that's this mix of a motivational podcast, cinematic music, and guided visualization. They are fundamentally different from meditation and a lot more exciting to listen to. 
Instead of calming you, activations are motivating, energizing, and transformative. You'll reach your goals faster, whether you want to earn more money, get clarity, achieve a health goal, or feel like you're reaching your highest potential. They're essentially a shortcut to get to where you want to be and the ultimate way to visualize your future self. And you can only find them on the Superhuman app. I use and love Superhuman and find myself playing activations several times a day, whether I'm baking bread, doing my skincare, or even when I'm in the shower. Superhuman offers something completely different to other apps out there, and I cannot wait for you to try them. Take advantage of their 14-day free trial and head over to activations.com forward slash gold digger to start your trial and save over 60% off your membership. There is literally no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The discount is only available through their website, not the app store. So visit activations.com forward slash gold digger now for over 60% off. Do not miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts and it expires soon. That's activations.com forward slash gold digger. Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So... Before we sign off, I want to share three accounts that are really amazing when it comes to this. I've learned so much from these accounts. So one of them is Big Little Feelings. Again, I bought their toddler courses, really helpful for me to learn just different tools and strategies for boundaries. Dr. Becky at Good Inside. That's the account, Dr. Becky at Good Inside. I love her examples and how she explains things. She's really brilliant. And then destiny.an. It's D-E-S-T-I-N-I dot A-N-N. 
also an incredible account about emotional intelligence and parenting. Those three accounts have just been really helpful for me. And I feel like Drew and I are often sending posts back and forth to each other from those accounts. And it always feels very timely and applicable, which I love. So when was the last time that you took stock of your life? Like you did this full on full sweep forensic accounting style inventory where you looked in the mirror with yourself. And I'm guessing if I asked you how often you take time out of your day to consider your feelings or your preferences or your unique needs or your deepest desires, you'd probably round way up, wouldn't you? This is your invitation to get in touch with your own feelings. And if you need help or a guide, let me recommend my book, How Are You Really? I think it is the perfect companion on that journey. But overall, I don't just want children who can feel what they feel unapologetically, that know when they need space or need to take a break for their own mental health and capacity. I want us to feel that too. I want us to be people who can communicate their feelings and know that happiness doesn't have to be the destination all the time and who know it's okay to sit in a difficult feeling and to actually feel it. We want to showcase a healthy relationship with our own emotions and show that no emotion is embarrassing or bad. And we also want to own up and vocalize our wrongdoing when we say the wrong thing or when we snap, because that all happens. Messing up is normal and apologizing and acknowledging is just as important. My goal is to normalize every single feeling and to make sure that my children know that they can express what they feel and navigate through it in a healthy way, whether that's talking about it or taking some time or processing or even eventually processing through different mediums, whether it's art or writing or activities. This is all a part of building that healthy emotional intelligence that we all can benefit from paying more attention to. And let me remind you, it is a constant work in progress, no matter our age. I hope today's episode shared a little bit more of our behind the scenes as parents in our hopes for our children, but also the way that we are prioritizing feeling our feelings in our very own home. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of the podcast. Until next time, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team 
is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home, and thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.